0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Yeah, happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm mixing it up a little bit today. Kind of due to necessity, kind of due to wanting something a bit different, kind of due to the fact that, in my opinion, the Celtics are going to go through to the Eastern Conference Finals after today. I'm hoping. I don't want to do another sad podcast on Friday. Nobody wants a sad podcast on Friday. So today what I did, with 15 minutes notice, I I took a plunge and I put out a tweet saying, hey, it's going to be a calling episode. I got a few responses. It's better than no responses because now you've got something to listen to today. One of the guys has been on a few of the episodes over time, uh, mainly draft, mainly draft because he's a college guy. So, you know, they're all his boys and that's Mr. Cody Shalafu. What's going on, Cody?
0: Adam, it's a pleasure. Every time I hop in this call with you, I'm glad to be back and talking some Celtics basketball. Yeah, man,
1: it's been far too long. And the other person that joins me is Mr. Joe Lyons, who's Irish and living in England, right? Yeah, I'm in Ireland
2: at the minute, but I'm moving to Derby in about 10 days for you I'm sorry, man. No, you're okay.
1: I'm sorry, (laughs) Derby. I'm sorry, dude. We're we're going (laughs) to go past that because, you know, this isn't a geography podcast. This is a basketball podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so we'll just jump straight into it. Who wants to give me their first talking point? I want to let you guys run the narrative of this show.
2: I will have to go for Daniel Tice. Go. I just like um. I know at the start of the season and stuff, um, especially with the trade trade deadline uh, approaching, everyone was, you know, banging on tweeting Danny saying, you know, we need a big man. I think um, like Davis Bertans was on the list. You know, there's loads of them, and now it seems like, you know our prayers have been answered with Tice. He's he's looked a completely new player this year and even especially after getting whacked in the face by I think was it a Barke? Oh when he got kicked in the face, yeah I was still him yeah, awesome. like, And he still can, he didn't even complain. I don't even I don't think he even saw him complaining that much, which is like that's his favourite thing to do. But um I was so impressed with him because like he's only 6'8", and he's playing in a centre against players like Gasol Ibaka, and he's he's he out rebounding them brilliantly, and like you, I just didn't expect that from him. Um there's sometimes like he can't he can, he can be a bit iffy on the offensive end, but like defensively, you can't fault him this season whatsoever. And he's been probably I think the key player in this matchup
0: so far. Yeah, no, uh, Tice has been really really good for us this season. Uh, remember last year, the one concern I have with Daniel Tice, um, and it showed a little bit in the previous series, was him against bigger bigs, like the Joel Embiid's, yeah. like those thick mm-hmm. boys. They can't bully him. They, they can't bully him. And that happened last year when Al, Al went down for, for uh, like a week stretch or two around Christmas time last year. Um, and he had to face Embiid, then Capella, and then a couple other big guys. Um, he was in Miami. I think Whiteside gave him a, a, yeah. a good run. And everyone's like, whoa, that's where everyone started hating on Tice because that was mm-hmm. when the Celtics started playing a little bit better um, they just had that big Christmas uh, day game with Kyrie dropping like 40 in that overtime victory, and everyone was watching at that point. And Tice did struggle a little bit after Al went down. Um, but what we, we see differently, I think, is just the team defense. is yeah, so much better. All it, it allows Tice to – it hides Tice a little bit. Um, yeah. in, in this series, um, Pascal Siakam is obviously a player that you have to look out for. Um, and, and, and seeing you know, he's the best player, I would, I would say. He hasn't been playing like it just because the way the defense plays, they've had Marcus on him, they've had Jalen on him start games, they've had Tice on him a little bit, but it allows Tice to not have to deal with Pascal and just let him roam around, stay in that middle, protect the paint, use his length. And I think that's done, it's done wonders for them. The games that they've won, they've played great defensively. The games they lost, they didn't really have much of that firepower and, or that, you know, drive. I mean, that one game, a newbie shot, that's insane. Yeah. You don't expect that to happen. That's one you just have to chalk up. And I the second you... game – Sorry. Cool. Yeah, and I said the second game they just didn't play with fire or that game mm-hmm. four. And then last night – um, you just saw them just go right at him on the defensive end. And Tice was a big part of that. I mean, he just knows where to be. He's in the right spots, which makes everyone else be in the right spots. No one has to overhelp with him. And he's the help most of the time. He knows how the rotations work. And it's just smarts. And he's lengthy and long. He's exactly what Brad wants.
1: You know what makes me happy? Daniel, makes Tice, Daniel Tice is in 94th percentile for blocks in the playoffs. That six for really? eight dude, that plays on the perimeter <laughs> mainly defended the perimeter is blocking better than 94% of bigs in the playoffs. He's blocking 2.9% of the shot attempts he contests. doesn't sound a lot, but he's, like, in the last game, how many blocks did he have? He had two in the last game, which is about average, 2.9%. So maybe he could have gone for three. He's really figuring out how to close out on drives, especially after pick and roll. Teams do attack him a little bit on the baseline, just because I feel like, He tends to get tunnel vision on looking at the helplines and guarding towards the perimeter. So when people attack baseline, he can be kind of a detrimental player, a detrimental guy on that position. But again, he's so switchable and so versatile in the way he can move his body laterally that he more than makes up for the occasional blip. He's definitely the best defensive big on the team. I know Cody might argue Grant Williams at this point, but he'd be wrong. But other than that, now I'm I'm a big fan of Tyus. He was get, the only thing that's annoying me is he does get the wide open free and tends to pass it up for a dribble handoff on more than most occasions. If he wants to take that next step and be able to draw defenses out and start hitting some high low game with regularity, then he does need to threaten that free ball a little bit more. I'm only asking for 33 to 35 percent of them being a made yeah. shot, just enough to force the defense up enough to start getting a little bit of a high-low going with Jaden Brown and Jason Tatum. That's my yeah. big wish for Tyson's division. was
2: especially division. evident against Philly. Indeed was giving him open three after open three. And it seemed like he, he had sort of lost his confidence a bit. Um, he it like, started passing up a lot more shots. He was missing them as well, which I think, I don't know if Brad had told him, you know, you're not in the best format right now, maybe pass it up, but I think the more threes he takes, the more confidence he gets. And he's had some clutch threes this year. Yeah, He's I been mean, a really versatile player.
0: Yeah, in the playoffs alone, I've seen him. Uh, last game, he had a couple mid-range shots. You know, mm-hmm. from the elbow, he had one um, from the short corner. I um, mean, like you said, Embiid didn't even – it wasn't guarding Tice, basically. Yeah. Like, Tice had the ball. He was just looking around for cutters and everything because he's a good passer down the cutters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Phoenix makes two in a game or makes three in a game you know shoots two for five or that 34 to 33 range like he doesn't have to be Steph Curry I mean all he has to do is make him respectable if you just get the big up one more step that opens up that entire baseline that opens up the dribble handoff you can actually attack often instead of just making it giving it off and then all right what are you doing there's a guy right there you know all you have to do is stay accountable you know, stay respectable. And I think he has the ability to do that. And that's a big reason why he got the nod over a Cantor sans defense. Obviously, I think Adam knows how much I love Cantor defensively um, in sarcastic quotes. Um, but I think that's what gave him the edge over all the other centers. I mean, you look at Rob, he's more explosive. He's, he's more of a big play guy, but he's also not disciplined. Um, that's where Tice comes in. He's disciplined. And then you have Grant, a little bit smaller, um, more of a switchy guy. You know, Tice is more of a rim protector than Grant is. That three-ball favors Tice a little bit more than Grant, even though his percentages have gone better as the season progressed. Um, And Cantor, you basically can't play in the playoffs defensively. Um, You can't really play him.
1: Tell that to Portland.
0: Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, he was (laughs) a stud that series for them back in the day. Um, That was like –
1: so – Look, man, I wrote about Cantor's defense in the playoffs for Portland. I went back and watched every game that he played in for that entire playoff run. Yeah. And it was very much, Cantor was up against matchups that fitted Cantor's style of defense. You exactly. Could pl- you could play him in the drop against Stephen Adams. Soon as he'd come up against the Golden State Warriors, and now he was being pulled out of the paint and pulled off the- onto that high helpline, he got cooked in him, and then he started coming off the bench. Back at Tice, the one thing I will say, is every year that Tice has been on the Celtics, his three-point attempts have imp- increased. Mm-hmm. So his rookie season, his rookie in quotes, so his rookie NBA season, took 55 attempts from the fr- from three, made 18. This is um, cleaning the glass, so there is no garbage time here. Second season, took, six, made, took 61 attempts, made 23. This season, in the regular season, bearing in mind it was cut short, those attempts jumped 94 attempts, making 32, and then he's took 20 in the bubble, and um, in the playoffs, sorry, and made four of them. Um, I'm asking for a bit more than four. I'm not going to lie. I'd like that to be around about seven, seven, six, seven. I mean, it's not many more makes than what he's already got. It's just showing that willingness. And that's why Al Horford was so effective on the dribble handoff last year, because teams had to push up on Al Horford because they were scared of him being able to shoot that free just because it was a respectable number. And that's why Aaron Baines started to add that to his shot profile too. to Cody's delight and then multiple yeah. fans jumped on that bandwagon later. But the ability to hit that free ball really does open up so many driving lanes, so many high-low games that I feel like if he can just show a little bit more wingness to take that shot, that's going to open up a lot for Campbell Walker and guys like that, especially against the team that pinches on there with defensive wings like Toronto. You need to be able to pull them out of the elbows, out of the shoulders, sorry, on the three-point line, so they don't pinch in, which opens those backdoor cuts. Especially if they pinch in, if they're pinching in high, then those backdoor cuts are gonna be there plenty. And I will be screaming for it never to be Gordon Haywood receiving the lob off one of those backdoor cuts, assuming he makes it back. Next narrative, guys. Throw me a narrative. Let's go, let's go.
0: Uh, I kind of want to talk about Pascal Siakam not being Pascal Siakam. And w- w- how do you, do you credit that to him just not being there? Or what have you seen defensively? Jalen Brown. Statistics? Yeah, I mean, it's been a tough go for him this series. And I love Pascal Siakam. I think he's one of the top 20 players in our league. I really do. You saw what he did last year in the playoffs and what he, how he's uh, progressed. I mean, there were talks about him winning another most improved player after winning it last year. I mean, what have you guys seen defensively at the Celtics have been doing? Um, yeah,
2: I think I tweeted about this the other day. Um, after we lost, um, I was quite disappointed about the stuff of uh, quite people getting very angry with Jalen or whatever after his slow performance. Um, but like, you, you have to remember, he, he like everyone, not everyone's going to be in the top of their game. Like we had Tatum who shot. Two from 18 against Milwaukee, went down to the next game and scored 34. This is the same bounce back game that Jalen had last night. And he's held Siakam to, I think the lowest he had maybe was last night, minus 25 or something. He's like been, you know, he's been holding someone who's been in regular shouts for the All NBA second team consistently throughout the season to like 17, 8, and 4, which is, you know, the guy, I credit. A lot of these wins to jail and his lockdown defense.
1: I mean, a key point to note is that against well, coming into this series, so against Brooklyn, Siakam's usage rate was sky high. He was averaging around a let's do quick maths. We'll say a twenty nine percent usage rate. He averaged more than thirty percent on usage rate in two games against Brooklyn. Let me do my maths. Yep, thirty four percent in the third game, thirty three percent in the final game. So, Brook, so sorry, Toronto were going to him regularly all through that Brooklyn series. Fast forward to Boston, and he hasn't gone over 22% in usage rate. So the Celtics are doing a great job of denying him the ball. They're denying the passing lanes. And that's a credit to the whole team because Jalen Brown isn't really known as an off-ball defender. When Once Siakam gets on board, Jalen's doing a great job of staying connected with him, using his length to disrupt any drives. And then if he does... if Siakam does get past Jalen and you're dealing with a, a very fast switch that's either going to put Tatum on you or going to put Tyce on you. But for Nick Nurse to come out and say that Siakam's been poor throughout the entire playoffs, I can see that in points per shot attempt. But what I will say is if you were feeding him the rock so regularly against Brooklyn and now he's not getting the rock as much against Boston, then maybe that's the entire team offense not being able to create for him. I went on record before this series started and said that the team that wins this is going to be the team that can get consistent shot creation and not just any shot creation, like open shot creation, teams that can find the open space. And Boston do that brilliantly. They did it in game five against Toronto when they was attacking the zone with their ball movement. And that's what opened up a load of the free, free shot. In terms of Siakam, I feel like, one, he's not getting the ball enough. And then when he is, I don't feel like it's always in his spots. He's gone to the post a lot, and it hasn't worked out. And then you've seen him make those um, baseline cuts. I was expecting more of a 45-degree angle game from Siakam, more drive from the elbow, drive into the, to the nail, and then either feed off it or try and pull up, and then use the threat of that drive throughout the course of the game to start opening up some free balls for you, or some pick-and-roll action. So I'm personally crediting this to Boston and their ball denial.
0: Yeah, I mean, there have been the jokes on Twitter that he has that one move. That's a spin move, and that's the only move he does. Um, I mean, I love Pascal Siakam, and I fell in love with him last year. Um, Even before the playoffs, just his growth as a player playing with Kawhi in that system. But I have to agree. I mean, he's the best when he gets that ball into that elbow and then just goes. I mean, if he's sitting there backing up and thinking for a second, that just allows the defense to kind of guess what he's going to do. And if he only has one move, every time he spins, there's someone right there. And then he either throws up a bad shot or he has to pass it out and it's not even the best of passes, so the defense can react quickly to get that. I just think that as a player of his caliber, you have to play better. And, I mean, it's great that he's not playing great against the Celtics. I love it. I'm not going to be like, hey, you should drop 45 next game. Why don't you do that? Um, but, I mean, like I said, if he wants to be that guy, Kawhi left and the Raptors still produced this year and everyone's saying that, that's just because they're so good, you, he has to, he's that guy. I mean, He has to step up. He has to be that guy. He doesn't have to be Kawhi Leonard. There's only one Kawhi Leonard and maybe only two or three players better in the world, if that, than Kawhi Leonard. But he has to prove that he's a top 20 guy. He's a top 25 guy. He can be a leader on the team. And he proved himself to be a great second option last year. And if the Raptors want to have sustained success, because Kyle Lowry is not getting any younger, Fred Van Vliet's contract is coming up, I'm pretty sure, unless he signed with the Raptors. I yeah. just didn't see it. Um, they have Marcus Gasol, Ibaka. The championship window is kind of slim, and they can extend that if Siakam is playing like a number one guy. Um, but he has to figure it out, I think. I mean, has he scored over 21 time? and that's he took 23 shots to get 23 points. Uh, he went two for 13 in that game from three. Um, he had good games against uh, – he actually really hasn't had great games. I mean, he had a 26-point g- uh, game against Brooklyn, but Brooklyn was was a shell of what they actually are. So I'm not going to put so much stock in it, but he's shooting just so poorly field goal percentage-wise. You know, 31%, 37%, 40%, 43%. It's gone up every game, but still not where it needs to be. And it, it's surprising, but like you said – credit to the Celtics' defense. I've seen them put multiple different guys on them. Marcus Smart's been on them for a little bit. Jalen Brown's been on him to start games. I've seen Tice guard him well. I've stayed just moving everyone around. Um, and it's a it's great job by Brad to get everyone involved to give him different looks.
1: So the South, Celt- Sorry, no. So Kyle, Harry, while you were talking, one question that came to my mind was what's the facilitation been like for him? How many assists are the guards creating against the Celtics when they're playing Carl Lowry has got 35 assists in this series. Fred Van Vliet's got 32. So they're two primary ball handlers and primary creators of doing their job. They're getting the rock to where it needs to go for the buckets. Now, I'm assuming that a large portion of Lowry's assists are going to Ibaka off pick and roll action because Ibaka seems to just always be open due to the way the Celtics overhelp sometimes when they get in their own head. That frustrates me knowing. But it is part of the system, so fair enough. So the ball is moving for Toronto and they are working the ball around to get the best look possible. I kind of think that maybe this is more, maybe we're seeing what Paul George was talking about a few weeks back where he was like, I was in my own head. This is an alien environment. I was stressed. It's not exactly what I wanted. You know, there's no break. And if that's the case, if this is just going to, if Siakam just hasn't adapted, maybe, or maybe it's just, just external factors that are affecting his play. I was really shocked to see Nick Nurse single him out in the press conference. I yeah. weren't. I was not expecting that. That tends to lead me to my narrative of Nick Nurse is a one heck of a coach, but I feel like Brad Stevens has got his number
2: for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I think Nurse obviously showed his colours last year, taking that uh, Toronto team and beating Golden State for the ring. But Stevens, like, they're both great defensive coaches. But uh nurse would play a bit more of a balanced style of basketball than than Stevens, but I think just the defensive way they set up Smart against, you know, the two guards, Smart and Brown against Laurie and Van Vliet, both I would say are much better defenders than Laurie and Van Vliet. And it's something like I haven't seen, you know, like when Smart ripped that ball off Laurie like it, like he was a child, that was one of the best plays I think we'll see in the playoffs. And you know Stevens has got his rotation. He knows the guys that he wants to bring in. He knows how they work. He knows the chemistry of the team so well. Like what players to play together on the floor, and I it just it, they've all gelled together so so brilliantly. And it looks like you know maybe because Siakam hasn't been playing as well, the Raptors think you know what if our leader isn't playing that well, it might slightly demotivate them in a way. But the Celtics have you know. On, on any given night, we can have, you know, maybe f- four players on 20-plus points. But it just doesn't look like that for the Raptors at the minute. And it's obviously something that Nurse has got to work on, but he doesn't have very long for it.
0: Yeah, I think um, Brad, I think that point right there, getting all the players involved, I think Brad had a more natural way of getting everyone involved. And last year was – obviously, last year was last year. Everyone was wonky. This year, I think it's more fluid. Everyone kind of has a different – Uh, adapt to the role, we can have four guys to get 20 um, any given time, first team in a little bit to get – or, you know, we got three 20-point scorers in the season. I just think that it's more natural. I think if you look at Siakam and what he did last year compared to what he did this year. Now, Siakam obviously was the number two option, number three really going into that season because you didn't know what Siakam was going to bring to you until he he gave it to you. Then he was – he was more of a secondary ball handler. Um, or a playmaker like he wasn't really asked to score that was Kawhi Leonard's role he would he was a great passer in transition Um, if plays broke down he could pass from the elbow and kind of get everyone involved and that caught a lot of people off guard and he never was the main focal point because you had to watch out for Kawhi Leonard I mean if you just look at the averages um, from last year to this year I mean the scoring numbers went up but also you know A lot of the field goal percentage went down. He was at around 55 last year, up to 45 now on about seven more attempts a game. Three-point percentage stayed roughly the same. He's shooting four more threes, and that's normal. That's what it is. Two-point percentage were from 60% last year to 50% this year. It's a 10% drop-off. Effective field goal percentage went from around 60 to around 51. I mean, a lot of these things dropped. Usage rate went way up. Um, which obviously again is natural progression. Him sliding into number one role, but it's a different role. He's not really a scorer. He can score the ball, but he's not a primary scorer. Obviously, defensively is where he made his name in college and why he got drafted. Um, and he plays good defense here. I mean, His offensive rating, even though it's not a great stat to look at, it went down by 13 points, which is a little bit telling. Uh, 120 last year to 107 this year. I think now that the focus is on him, the spotlight's more on him. It can be a little frustrating when you. You're that guy, but you're not getting it done. Uh, Like Adam alluded to, the Paul George, uh, you know, it's a different environment. You know, he's in his head a little bit. I think it's more of frustration knowing what he did last year, how effective he was last year. And this year, he doesn't seem like he's as effective. It could be, um, especially scoring the ball-wise. I mean, his offensive shares went from 5.7 last year to 1.8 this year. Still a great player. It just not, might be he just might not be that number one guy. And now that he's trying to be, it could be a little frustrating, a little telling. Um, but I think that's on Nick Nurse to kind of get him going and get, put him in situations where he can succeed and win. And so far, especially um, during this uh, playoff series against Boston, it really hasn't been the case.
1: Yeah, I and mean, that's where Steven's defensive um, scheme and defensive principles really come into place. Because if you put someone like Siakam in a place where they can get going, The Celtics will just switch a new man onto you that's going to be able to contain you no matter what you're trying to do. Jalen Brown has done a fantastic job of that on the post. Less so on the perimeter, I'd say, personally. I feel like Siakam has got the length to kind of get a step on him and keep Jalen on his hip. But Jalen's very versatile in playing that rear-view defender role and kind of altering your shot from behind. I think Siakam's kind of going through... Like you said, it's like a metamorphosis. You're being asked now to to lead the team instead of be a complementary player. And sometimes you're just not that guy and there's nothing wrong with that. He could be, he's a Robin at that point then. He needs a Batman and he had that last year in Kawhi. This year it's a completely different role for him and I'm just not sure that he knows how best to carry a team yet. And that's something you need to learn. Not everybody's born with that type of leadership. Are you going to lead by example? Are you going to lead vocally? How are you going to fire yourself up? Because you need to fire yourself up if you're going to be trying to fire your guys up. And then going against other young guys like Jalen Brown that has a bad game and then bounces back in the way he did in game five. Um, and then going against guys like Jason Tatum that have had on enough games throughout the series and throughout the last series and they still continually bounce back. Like If I'm Siakam, I'd be taking a look in the mirror like how are these guys bouncing back in the next game? And I'm eight, nine games into the playoffs and I haven't even had a bounce yet. Never mind bounce back. It's uh, it's tough. It's, it's really tough for him. Uh, again, as a Celtics fan, as a guy covering the Celtics, I'm happy to see the opposition team struggle because that means the Celtics job's a little bit easier. But Toronto scare me. Another thing I want to point out is, and I tweeted this out yesterday towards the end of the game, no team in this series has won a home game, home in air brackets, so, uh, that kind of eludes me to think it could be over tomorrow, today, today when this releases, or it could go to game seven. What are you guys thinking if it goes to a game seven? Which team, honestly, now objection like, uh, put your fandom aside, put your uh, emotions to decide which team walks out if it goes to a game seven.
2: If it goes to a game seven, personally, I'm all biased aside, I think Toronto will take it as much as it pains me to say it. Um, This is a championship winning team, albeit minus Kawhi Leonard. A lot of players have the experience. They've got the the drive and the motivation. They know what it's like, they've been there before. Um I think that, you know, this is a young Celtics team. They're mostly inexperienced when it comes to getting this far in the playoffs, apart from the players that were involved in twenty seventeen. But I think Toronto have that sort of killer instinct. They know when they have to win. And you know, I think if they if it does go to a game seven they're like Sea I think Siakam would. He would really turn on the Jets, and you know, Laurie and thankfully we saw what they were like in the finals last year. They were superb, and I don't. I, th- I think it'll. It, it could go down to the wire. Well. I'm even like reconsidering my decision as I speak, but I think personally Toronto would take it.
0: Yeah, I think it depends on on how Game Six was played. I think if it's a close game and both teams are doing well um and toronto wins i think they could take the momentum but if it's one of those games or if it's a close game i'm going to say if it's like a really close game i think boston can take it because i think they've played really well in this series they haven't had a bad game in this series yet even when they had their bad game uh game four it was still a pretty close game all things considered um they just had a historically bad shooting night and i think that You know, on top of them really not playing well, they still played pretty well against Toronto. If it's a blowout, if Toronto comes out tomorrow night or tonight, if whenever this comes out and it is a 25-point Raptors lead, I could see them winning. Um, I like both teams. I might take the cowards way out and say, I don't know. Um, I think I would lean Boston, though. I think that they've just played better in the series overall. They haven't had any duds. Uh, compared to Toronto, who's had um, two. Um, game one wasn't particularly close. Game five wasn't particularly close. Um, we'll see what Game six. Obviously, I'm rooting for the Celtics, and I think I would sway Celtics Game seven.
1: So for me, I feel like the Celtics have the closers. Yeah. So you've got Kemba, you've got JT. JB can step up, step up if he needed, if he's on his game. Uh, apparently, Marcus Smart can turn into a super saiyan. At, any given point and just drain threes on your dome Steph Curry. personally I don't think and I'm going to catch some heat for saying this but I'm going to say it anyway I don't think a team relying on Marcus Smart to be their X Factor has got championship potential I think that there's other players within that team that should be able to pick up the slack before you rely on Marcus Smart bailing you out it's great to have him there to be able to bail you out and it's an amazing he's an amazing player great piece to have but he's not if I'm a Celtics coach or covering the team now and I'm looking at it, Marcus Smart is not the guy I'm looking at as being my X factor in a series in terms of scoring. He's my X factor in a series in terms of defense. But if I'm relying on Smart to hit the next four threes in a row, I'm, I'm taking the over-under and betting on Smart missing at least one or two of those. What he did in game, was it game two? Game three? Yeah, yeah game two. What he did in that game was uh, was great. It was kind of unprecedented for Marcus Smart. He's done it in the regular season. He does get hot sometimes, but I would not put my hopes on him being the the shining hope, the shining light of hope in terms of scoring. But the Celtics have the closers. The Celtics have the length. They have the star power. They have just as good a coach as what Toronto do. Uh, if their shots are falling, then I take I take Boston. And if they stay out of foul trouble, if their shots aren't falling. Then Toronto walk away and go into the conference finals and I'll go home crying at 2.30 in the morning.
2: Very, very unhappy. Like all of us.
1: Yeah, well, some people, it's not 2.30 in the morning, but I'm guessing they're going to be very unhappy. I'll
0: be crying until yeah. 2.30 in the morning,
1: I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's like, what's that for me? Like, I'll be waking back up for work at that time. You can send me some <laughs> sad fa- We can get a get a Michael Jordan gift going on with you just teared up.
0: Yeah, that, that's that. Will, that's what we'll do. I'll promise you that.
1: Okay, we've got time for one more narrative to break down before we go, if you have one.
0: Um, I just want to talk
2: about, you know, we haven't mentioned him that much today, Jason Tatum. Um, I think it like, he hasn't had, um, you know, the best couple of uh, previous games, but he's transitioning into the player now where even if he doesn't have, you know, his greatest shooting night, um, I think he was only about maybe 30% from the, uh, I said like dark last night, but even if he doesn't have that best shooting night, he can still provide, you know, game, like a game winning play. And he has that in his locker, no matter how hot or cold he is. Like last night, he wasn't overly impressive, but he still had a very good game. I think he had 18 and 10, maybe two or three assists as well. He, like, it's the transition from, you know, star the superstar that you get in the playoffs. You get this, you know, this name badge alongside you. And I think players, you know, they need to be consistent and they need to be performing at the top of their game every day. And while he may not be the, you know, the superstar that we want him to debate, but at the minute, he's still putting in, you know, 110% every night. And um, he doesn't give up. He's solid. He never lets you down unless you're counting the Milwaukee game, but we'll forget about that. And, um, yeah, he's just, he's transforming into our very own 2020 Paul Pierce.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's been that guy all season. I mean, after the first month or so of the season, he's been a 28-point-per-game scorer, basically. He's been our guy. Um, You know, he had 32 to open up the playoffs, 33 the next game, 15 but then 28 in the sweep against Philadelphia, 21-34, 15-24-18. He's shooting pretty well. Um, multiple games over fifty percent, only one game <laughs> under thirty, two games in the thirties. So he's he has his off night every once in a while, but he's been fantastic defensively, especially. I mean, we've been talking about an all defensive team for Tatum this whole year, how well he is, especially um, in in the help department, um, just providing great defense, team defense, um, using his length to get into passing lanes and. Uh, using his length and size to stay in front of guys. I mean, he's one of those guys where he's big time. Like, he, he's, you give him the ball, he gets it done. He's a fantastic rebounder as well. He was at Duke. He's had multiple games um, with 10 or more, 13 and 15 against Philadelphia. He's had eight or more every game um, so far against Toronto. He's an all-around guy, and the best part, about him, Jalen, and Kemba is their relationship on the court in terms of Jalen and Jason have their quarter, two quarters to prove are they going to be hot tonight? And if they're not, Kemba goes, okay, I got it. And then he provides a scoring. That three-headed monster between them, who's ever hot gets it. If Jalen and Jason aren't pulling their weight that night, that's when Kemba turns on the Jets and goes into score mode. It's a perfect synergy Um, a symbiotic relationship between those three, and that's what really keeps the Celtics team afloat every night offensively. One of those guys is bound to get hot. Multiple of those guys get hot most of the time, and if not, Kemba's there to just be like, all right, I let you guys have your fun. It's my turn. Let's get this win. And Jason is the first head in that three-headed monster, and it's been fantastic to watch.
1: Coming into the playoffs, I was saying that I wanted to see JT do a little bit more facilitating. His playmaking is the next step in that development for him to reach that superstar status. You're seeing him run a lot more pick and roll. You're seeing him slowly develop a passing game. There was a play yesterday I remember tweeting about it where Toronto blitzed Tatum at the top of the break. Tatum recognised the blitz coming and fed Marcus Smart with a post-entry pass. Uh, Marcus Smart absolutely uh, destroyed any type of momentum that caused by I think he shot instead of passed, or he passed instead of shot. It was a it was a bad decision by Smart, but he made up for it later in the game. Anyway, with some good defensive players. What I'm getting at is Tatum's development as a as a facilitator is happening in this series. He's he's accumulated 21 assists over the last four games. He's been in the top, well, he's in the hundredth percentile, so he's one of the best wings in assist uh, assist percentage. His usage rate is through the roof. His points per shot attempt sometimes is respectable. Sometimes, I mean, at the moment, his scoring is kind of patchy over the last four games. I feel like the Celtics are going to go as far as Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker can take them. Both of those guys are ridiculous talents, ridiculous scoring talents. With Tatum slowly building his playmaking ability and his ability to feed the post, his ability to operate in that pick and roll as both a scorer and a facilitator... He adds that extra dimension to the team where you can allow Kemba to work off ball. You can allow Brown to work off ball. You can start feeding feeding the rock around the perimeter until Tatum decides he wants to go iso on you or he can hit that entry pass down low. I mean, when you're playing a four out, right? so you've got your four wings, like your two guards, your two wings playing on the perimeter and then you have one big 2-9 in down low, which is, ten, which is generally how the Celtics operate. Uh, post-entry passes are a thing of the past, generally anyway, but they're definitely not something the Celtics are looking for most of the time. I've talked myself into a corner here. What I'm saying is I'm very happy with Tatum's passing. I'll leave it at like that because of was I could just keep talking about how I missed the 90s post-entry passing. <laughs> uh, no, seriously though, I'm super happy with how Tatum's played. I'm super happy with the way he can create his own shot. He can create shots for others. His off-ball defense this year has been absolutely phenomenal. If he can slightly improve his armball defense that would be fantastic I'd very much like that his room protection isn't really what you want what you ask of him but he's definitely always in the right spots when rotations are happening it's very rare I see a player and I'm like Tate I missed that rotation do you guys see that after?
0: Uh, every once in a while I won't lie and say I'm paying attention too closely to that sometimes but um, it, it's happened it's happened it I've does happen, happen
1: but not as like much that. as I'd say Jalen Brown misses a rotation or oh
0: yeah I think I think Tatum's playmaking via the pass is and is uh, better than Browns for sure. What about
1: defensively? I mean, I don't see JT oh, do many defensively, defensively. No, I I think
0: yeah, I think like what you said, Jalen Brown's defense. I think Jalen Browns overall defense to be a little overrated in the fact that on ball he's great, off ball he can get lost sometimes or try too much. I think Jason Tatum is a very solid defender both ways. Um, he's a little bit better off ball. I think he, I think he has a great understanding of where the other team wants to go with the ball and where they're going. And I don't think he misses weight too much as Jalen can get caught uh, with his eyes of the ball handler or away from his man, um, or away from the rotation and just be a little a step behind off ball.
2: Yeah, he was exposed slightly um, in the previous game, game four. Um, you know, he wasn't having his best night, and he could tell his confidence was low. But I mean, it's like, it's that consistency that's going to always take, like, defensively. I'm going to take Tatum over Brown. And he's just a lot more consistent. He has that, like, if you would you would you back, you know, Jalen Brown to make, you know, huge blocks, huge steals in in the clutch, you know, especially when we're going to a game six and potentially a game seven the next coming days. I'm going to take Tatum every day. But at at the same time, you know, it might not be worth comparing the two defensively since you know they, they offer a lot of... You know, they're almost polar opposite players and they offer a lot of different things to the team. But they complement each other so well as well that you can... You can, you know, they play like they've known each other their whole lives. The chemistry's great. And Jalen does get a bit lost, as he said. Um, he can get a bit carried away sometimes. But... I, I don't think I've ever seen that with Tatum this so far this series he's been you know from the naked eye he's been spot on. I'm
1: gonna end it there, guys. Do you guys want to let people know where they can find you if they want to follow you? I'll let you guys give yourselves a little bit of self promo.
2: Twitter, Joe two nine zero five underscore. Make sure to give me a follow.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean I'm just on Twitter too, I guess. Cody thirty three. Um, yeah, I mean it was a pleasure having us on, Adam. I always love. Thank talking you very much, you.
1: Always, man. I'll be running these uh, phone ins more regularly again. Now. I was doing it quite consistently before, but then uh, the pandemic hit, and then obviously it's starting to get back into the swing of things in terms of actual basketball and talking about actual basketball. I'm surprised Cody hasn't changed his at to at yeah, yeah, underscore 23.
0: <laughs> <laughs> at, at yeah, yeah, underscore marry me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> as he says while well, looking off into the distance, where I'm assuming his girlfriend is, and that was a form of proposal
0: well
1: fair yeah. guys it's we'll not catch you. any
0: ideas in the air yet <laughs> we'll,
1: we'll, we'll do this off air I'll, I'll, I'll stir the pot off air. um <laughs> guys thanks for listening we'll be back friday the normal rotation will be back of me wayne and tim until then stay safe let's get this w hopefully it's a happy friday podcast and not a sad friday podcast i very much want it to be a happy one because it's a friday so uh let's all get praying to the basketball gods